Thank you, Brother Dave, for those songs. I guess we've just come through a, a week in, in our family where, I don't know, a lot of the songs we sang meant a lot to us, and some of them made us cry, and that's just kind of the way it is. But anyway, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here at the end of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul's wrapping up and long about uh, verses 6 down through 9 or, well, maybe it's a little, a little earlier than that. He's talking about his plans. He plans to go to Spain and he'll try to stop by Corinth on the way back by. It was just interesting to me to notice the... Uh, people that he talked about after he talked about himself, he talked about a number of other brothers who were working in the church. Verse 10. Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. That's Timothy, Timothy, Timotheus, now Apollos. As touching our brother, I come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. Then he speaks to you. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. And now on to Stephanus. And I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. And then three more men, actually one of them must still be the same Stephanus, I think. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. All right, so he's wrapping up his letter and he mentions all these various workers in the church. And I, I will admit it was uh, this verse about the family of Stephanus that really caught my attention. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, the King James says. And I know all the newer versions say they devoted themselves to the service of the saints or something like that. But uh, I like that word addicted. <laughs> it has a connotation to it that uh, here were people that gave themselves to the work of the Lord and you couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop themselves. They were devoted to him. So there's Timothy, verses 10 and 11, younger, probably a little less experienced. Paul says, let him be among you with no cause to fear. I'm not sure why he said that. I guess I've gone places before where I feared a little bit how it was going to go. But anyway, Paul says, be careful he doesn't have to fear. Send him on, I'm waiting for him. There's Apollos. Apollos had a mind of his own. 
Paul said, I wanted him to do this, but he didn't want to. Well, okay, so leaders don't always agree, especially on methodology or their ideas, and that's okay. But Paul said, hey, it's all right. He'll be along when it suits him. Apollos, if you would go read about him, you'll find out that he was just as much devoted to the service of the Lord as the others. And I think that's, that's the, the thing I see here in, in each one of these. These people were devoted to the service of the Lord. Verse 13, 14, you, watch ye, pay attention to your lives, stand fast in the faith, stand fast in your perseverance, be men. At least one of the newer versions says, quit you like men, be men, man up. Make sure you hold on to right attitudes, right relationships. Don't let the devil get in there and make you a mess. Be strong. And everything that you do, do it with charity. That's for all of us. Then he said you should know, or you know the house of Stephanus, these people that have addicted themselves to the service of the saints, they've devoted themselves recognize them, acknowledge them, even submit to them, cooperate with them in their work. And to all those people that, that are devoted to the work of the Lord. Then you have this last group, the three that apparently came from Corinth to him, bringing some, some help for Paul. He says, they've refreshed my spirit and yours. I don't think it was just their monetary help or whatever they brought. They themselves were the kind of men that refreshed him. I see here a bunch of men devoted to the Lord, devoted to the service of the Lord, addicted, if you want to call it that, to serving God and to serving his church. May we all grow in that. Let's kneel for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have together to gather together tonight to worship you. Thank you for Brother Philip and Sister Myrna and their devotedness to your church and your kingdom too. And for all these brothers and sisters that are here to support them Pour out your spirit upon us tonight. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us a heart of love for you and your church and a heart of support for these new leaders and a heart of support for each other. Make us builders in your church. We thank you again for the privilege of knowing you, loving you, having you in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, of being your children, being a part of the body of Christ. And we pray that our work tonight will be a prophet, Father, the work of the kingdom in this part of the kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening to each of you this evening. I greet you in the precious name of Christ our Savior, the author and finisher of our faith the one in which we truly can rejoice. And as we gather 
for such an occasion as we have this evening. So we gaze deeply into the words of Scripture and see the example Christ, in particular, gave for us as a servant. And I believe the last hymn we've sung, we all sang that verse that we as happy servants be. A servant. This evening we are considering an area in the life of the church that relies to the deepest extent, to the deepest call of servanthood. I trust that we realize that we come together in a time in which this is a process in which we are to be discipled. We are to be reminded of the words of Scripture, reminded of God's will for our lives. I had to think for myself that this evening's assignment is probably as I pondered that and prepared for those of us who have been called into special assignments in the life of the church it's a bit like husbands and wives going to a wedding because we see in the scriptures and we look in the mirror and we find that there's area to grow there's room for to perfect the image of Christ in my life and experience. And I expect you would see the same. So in that sense, it is to be a time of, of drawing strength from the directives the scripture give us and the needs, meeting the needs in the life of the church. One of the things that I would like to do in, in entering into this message this evening is invite you to Acts chapter 20. I'd hope to take the time to read those verses. I probably will cut it a little short, but I want to refer here as we look for the text verses from 2 Timothy this evening in chapter 3 and 4. I was impressed again here with the account of Paul's address there to the Ephesian elders. And um, I won't take the time to read all that, but as you recall, he poured out his heart to them. He poured out his heart of, of those things that he had experienced in the joy of serving the Lord. Things very difficult, things that most of us will never experience. But he says in verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry of which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record, record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the gospel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
We will see more of this testimony as we look further, but I wanted you to have this in the back of your minds as we consider Paul's communications in the pastoral epistles. In 2 Timothy, I invite you to turn there. As we look in Scripture, and even in the Old Testament, there were times and examples of God working in the lives of men by different means and varied methods of calling them to an appointment, a place to serve in, a charge to be received. And as we consider this evening, this is not the first charge to be received by Brother Philip. And likewise, in the scripture, there are many examples of different ones that at different junctures and times in their lives, they were asked to do varied things. It was affected by the actions of those involved. Now, we can, we can refer to a couple of accounts in the Old Testament, but uh, in the New, where, where God communicated to an individual. But um, as well, there are occasions there. I think of the example of Moses when he was called to bring Joshua before the people in Numbers 27, verse 23 there. And he was to give him charge, to set him before the people and acknowledge the work to which he was called. In the life of Jesus, he called his disciples initially, and then as he chose the apostles, he called them there on the mountain and laid hands on them. And I guess in a sense, there could be the third calling if you would consider the day of Pentecost of the manifestation of the Spirit of God, attesting to the birth of the New Testament church. Paul's life was one that exhibited great fervor. Recently I was reflecting on the few verses we have regarding the life of Jesus and his early childhood and youth, adolescence. And it speaks there of his person. He was a, an individual with varied um, attributes given here. It says he was increased in wisdom and stature. Stature denoting, my, most of the usage of that word is denoting maturity. And in favor with God and man. Paul was a man likewise who exhibited a strong drive in his life. 
Yes, he had to change course at some point. But it seems like he didn't lose the strength of either course. He committed it to God. He committed it to God, and God carried him forth in a totally different direction. Even to the astonishment of some early in his ministry, they could hardly believe the change that had come in his life and experience. God called him there at his conversion. God called him in a sense as well through the word that Ananias was to give to him. Confirming the vision he had. Telling him of the many things that he was to suffer for the kingdom of God. And yet even again in Acts 13, there as the the account reads, the people of God were seeking the face of the Lord. They were there before the Lord, and direction was given to where Paul and Barnabas were sent, were charged, were ordained to pursue an assignment, to carry it forth. And this evening, I want you to remember that phrase, before the Lord. We'll see that again here in, in this passage here in 2 Timothy as well. This is a time, as is every occasion, for the child of God to seek to live their lives, to exert their energies before the Lord. In the occasion that I referred to, one of which was Moses in the Old Testament, there was a question he raised when God called him to a certain assignment. And he had that question. He said, when I go to them, to Israel, how are they going to know who this is all supposed to be? So he was open, wondering for a confirmation. Now this evening as we've met here in the New Testament dispensation. I'm glad for what direct, we could say what few. There are not a lot of detailed, great detailed directives in, in the New Testament as to far as um, how we go about meeting the needs of, of uh, filling the need for servants in the life of the body, in the servant body of the ministry. And yet, there are many aspects in which we do draw some direction. And I'm glad this evening that we can find our needs met in the Scripture, especially as we commit ourselves to prayer and, and the fear of God. And yet in the New Testament, I believe I'm correct on this, that we don't see any examples of anyone being called apart from an active part of the church of God involved. I'd like to share a few things this evening as far as why is it that we or on what basis do we have for giving a charge, for setting those in places of responsibility to serve in ways that 
They have not served before. We looked at that passage in Acts 20 where Paul said he reminded them that they had been ordained and they the by the Holy Ghost and yet it was the hands of men that that were involved in that process that brought it to pass so this evening for a couple of points if you will on reasons for the giving of charges we this evening have the light of Scripture to direct us, and we see that here in the text passage. Perhaps I should read, let me go ahead and read here from 2 Timothy. I'd like to begin reading in verse 14. We'll be focusing mostly on the first part of chapter 4. It's very fitting in the fact that these verses fill our minds. Beginning in verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge thee for the work of the church to the direction of the Holy Spirit in light of the light of scriptures that the apostles whom Jesus set in place Continue that process of, of the nurture and building of the church. He refers in this passage that this charge is connected to as well uh, to the preceding verses of the things that Timothy had learned. His previous experience, the path of life that had prepared for him for this time, that point, that juncture in his experience and serving. So there is the need for that charge. There are those who perhaps on occasion are tempted to venture into the realm of self-assignment, but we understand that's not what the scripture tells us. And with the difficulty and the realities of 
of the work as servants, it is a blessing to know that it is someone beyond you that is called you, that God is called through the voice of the body, through the analysis of the brotherhood over time to call and set in place. We are called to carry forth the charge of the knowledge of the gospel, the experience of which we have partaken. Numerous times the scriptures refer to the fact that those that are to preach the gospel can only be those who have experienced it, that know it, that know it from the heart. Otherwise, there will not be a burden for the lost souls around us. There will not be a burden for those that we wish could experience the blessing of God in their lives. The New Testament record, Timothy and Titus, were two of those charged with the duty of making these charges that we have record of. God has set forth his purpose in the life of the church. And I appreciate so much how uh, the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy and Titus on many occasions the need, the necessity to be emptied of self, to be surrendered to God, to be, you know, if you, if you read through that account we looked at initially there in Acts and other places, there is no question as to Paul's commitment. And there was no question to his understanding of what he asked of Timothy in charging him, of calling him to follow in faithfulness. Beyond the charge, another reason for the charge we see here in, in this passage is, verse 1 tells us that there is a coming judgment. It says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So there is a need for the church to bear faithfully the message of salvation, the message of warning, the message of mercy, the message of love. When we declare the coming judgment, there are circumstances in which we need to remind ourselves of the beauty of the beauty of the judgment of coming to the foot of the cross and that our sins are washed. The beautiful picture of that, and yet it it reminds us of the mercy of God, and as we look on, around, and beyond, that He has the ability to remove our sins as high as the heaven is from the earth. It opens a door of gratitude, a well of upspringing that we are unmerited, do not merit such love. If we were to look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, there it talks about an element of judgment there that it's reflected on here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. 
as those charged with the filling the duties of ministers of the gospel, servants in the kingdom, we are to know the terrors of the Lord. We persuade men based on the scriptures, our understanding, our own testimony of the goodness of God in our life and experience. Paul's giving his charge here to Timothy. He refers to another area in verse 3. He talks about some of the more unpleasant things in life that we face. Sometimes we are reminded that the, the reality of friend and those we come in contact with, sometimes even family, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It adds a deep challenge to the call to serve as servants and to stand in meekness and humility on the pure doctrine of God. To seek to stand in a way that honors Him without reservation, prepared to sacrifice all else in our own account to keep the charge. And he talks about those that will not endure sound doctrine. Sometimes we like to think of elements around us, about and outside of the church. But you know, brothers and sisters, the reality is if we are not serious in our life of dis being discipled by the word, we will struggle with variances and surrender to the scriptures. We will struggle deeply. And it will result in allowing dear brothers and the word, the direction of the spirit, to help me in that struggle or it will result in a divisive division in that area of life. As we think of the charge and the call, those are some of the heavier loads that are a part of the charge to keep the church, to guard, to maintain. I'd like to refer you back to the Old Testament as we consider this increased opposition in Jeremiah chapter 23. Let's turn there. Two verses I'd like to read. Beginning in verse 21, there's a number of things in these, this whole passage that are a bit of a negative perspective, but I want you to notice what God's perspective was. Here he said, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Those that were setting forth of their own volition, of their own will to 
to present the will of God to the people. He says in verse 22, But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. It is the word of God that is to wash us and to mold us and to make us. And it is that which those charged to serve the body of Christ must reside upon, must dwell upon, must be stayed upon the word. Turning back to our text passage, in the previous chapter, verse 13, Paul says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We don't have the promise of the challenge becoming lesser, but we can dwell in the refuge of his protection, in the safety of his mighty hand. Another reason that we see in this passage of chapter 4 for the um, assignments given is the fact that sometimes there are additional churches, works begun, there are the need for additional charges to be given, and sometimes we as people acknowledge that we just wear out. We get old. And I'm not sure what the brothers would say this evening, but I think I think there's may not feel like quite like Paul expressed himself, but um, according to our brotherhood, they will have soon neared the end of their course in serving. Retiring servants. Paul said, for I am now ready to be offered. I believe he could say I'm now ready to be offered because he had already offered himself. I ask you this evening, what have you offered? What have I? And what have I not? And what have you not? We notice as well here in verse 8, further down, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. It is a precious thing for us when we find ourselves walking in the fullness of Christ and we can say with the scriptures that we are complete in him, praise his name. And we are able to fully trust and rest in him. We share that goal, that joy, that looking forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior. 
But I, I trust this evening, even so now, while we wait the Lord's return, let us not lay aside the opportunity to fully rest in Him, to walk in Him, to serve in Him as Christ served, as Paul labored. I'd like to look at a couple of the responsibilities of this charge that we notice here. He says in verse 1, he, in verse 2, pardon me, he says, preach the word. Now this is, we could say this evening in this giving of this further charge, this is not a new duty as such, but it's one that may feel a little different. with the added responsibility, with the added weight. Sometimes you all may, you're probably wondering what I'm trying to say. Let me try to tell you. As brothers minister through the years of time and you observe the generations come and the generations go. Many times a part of the weight that we feel, dear ones, is because we see in different lives paths being taken, courses being charted, and we've seen it happen before. And those paths are the way of death. It might take 10 years, it might take 20, but the destiny is pretty much sure unless there's a change of heart, a repentance of mind. And so it is within that realm whether those on the outskirts of our churches that are not really committed or wherever they may find themselves or even a, a person in the community. There is a sense, and I could, I could recount you, I'm not as old as many here, but I could recount you many, a sad tale, a sad story. And most often it started from an unsettled heart, a root of bitterness, nursing something from the life of the flesh. The responsibility of this charge of preaching the word, of maintaining the pure doctrine, is a burden. It's one that feels greater than I do, I know. It feels greater than I can comprehend. Yet by the grace of God, it is the desire, I believe, for those called that they should be able to embrace with all their will, with all their power, to seek to be faithful in that. Pray for your brothers that preach the word. Pray for your brothers that, that pray for your needs, your spiritual walk. 
There in that passage in Acts, said of Paul for three years, night and day, with tears. Responsibilities of the charge. Secondly, it talks about being instant in season and out of season. Not only when you expect to be doing it, not only when it's convenient, but when it's unexpected. When you don't know when the phone rings, when you don't know what, what is coming, are you ready to lay aside those other things if it's helpful? If it can expedite the comfort of a soul, whatever the need may be. Ready in prayer and service, counsel, comfort. Thirdly, we see here he talks about in verse 3 that aspect of difficult times will come but in verse 2 he says reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering i want to i want to touch on two things here the call to bring clarity to the needs of a heart the needs of a life are to be done in mercy, are to be done, in, and I will say this evening that it is a blessing to find a person in, ignorant, in, in need through their ignorance or mistakes they've made. But where there's a heart of rebellion or outright despite toward their creator, it is very difficult to bring about remedy. We surely live in a day in which many people know very little about the scriptures and they truly have been turned not only into fables but beyond. I want to look at two verses in Micah regarding the role of mercy. The second one would be more familiar to you. In chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. The charge for the servant of God is one to... have mercy in its proper place in the time of reproof, of rebuke, and exhortation. Micah 6.8 builds on that as well, very familiar, but it says, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Those last two, in particular, assist greatly in relating to people to be merciful and the aspect of humility we'll touch on a little bit later. In Hebrews chapter 5, won't turn there, but 
there's a verse there that talks about the earthly priest, high priest, and, and beyond. But it talks about those that have an understanding of the, that they're compassed about with their infirmities. And I had to think, aren't we all aware of our infirmities, our weaknesses, how far short we come? And it's not a matter of if we fail, it's how often and when. But I would offer a suggestion this evening that all of us, along with Brother Philip, that we, by God's grace, seek to avoid those occasions, but by all means, if we can avoid those things that come by pride or contention, very unnecessary stumbling blocks in our lives, and yet we allow them to happen sometimes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that it was that way. All it has to be is a perception of it. Paul gave us an example in 1 Corinthians in dealing with issues there in his letter. He commended them where it was able. He was able to in a very positive way. He tried to commend them for what they were getting right. But he as all he as well he challenged them on the error of their way. Don't you know? And to to bring clarity, to bring understanding and and sometimes, many times, as brothers and sisters, as we think about relationships in the church, many times a lot of the questions we have will melt away if we sit down and take the time to, to write out what we're saying and why we're saying it and ask the other, am I wrong? Is this right? We live in a world that wants to knock heads. And for us, the people of God, it is not what we're called to do. Paul had various methods. He was long-suffering. And yet, where gross sin, major matters came to the light, he said, put away that wicked person. He said, deal with it. In love, in truth, in the fear of God. I was reminded of that as I was studying the other day in, in uh, Titus, it talks about two, area, two places there about difficulties of false doctrine and so forth, and it refers to those that promote schism in the body of Christ, in the church, that that is the work of a heretic, and that is not to be um, given time to fester and bring corruption and be a burden upon the body. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Here again, that spirit of patience. It takes time to hear each other. It takes time. Some time ago I was thinking about how even, you know, we as ordained men don't always, I think Brother Claire said we don't agree, but, you know, I think sometimes what we think we may not agree on is a matter of sitting down and, 
and collecting a few scriptures and saying, this is why I feel this way and, and, and comparing notes. And we, if we're committed to the word, we should be far closer together than, than might, we might think. And yet it takes that sometimes. And sometimes we may be somewhat feeling alone in our perspective. And I would encourage any of you to present your feelings based on scripture and ask dear brethren to, to counsel you. How does it feel to them? How does it, does it, and what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Verse five, going back here now to Second Timothy four. He says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. The call to such a charge is one that is we so covet clear spiritual vision. It's not for the nearsighted in a sense in the fact that those who are watching for the souls of men need to be seeing beyond the here and now. Just as you parents, as we, you know, we observe our children growing up and they enter into some risky behavior and we know, well, they got by this time, but one out of the next 10 times they try that, it's gonna be Band-Aids or more. And to gain that insight, to be able to exercise that oversight does not put us in a pedestal position by any means. It is rather the opposite. It is a, if you look at the words of Scripture as what Christ has instilled for the work of the servants in the body of Christ, they are to be servants. They are to be slaves. They are to be under oarsmen. Three basic words. Two were used a lot more. It speaks to the reasons he talks about to be not self-willed. When you're under the deck of that ship rowing to the beat of the drummer who is directing it, who is setting the course it's charting, and you are happy in him, then we're trusting God. We're okay. You might say, brother, well, that's a bit of a careless approach. But I want to challenge you, dear ones. There's been times in my life when I didn't fully trust God. I didn't know. If, but there have been times when I, in recent years, I, I, I'll give you this illustration. And coming through the hurricane in Puerto Rico the other year, in 2017, there was an element of trust there that I couldn't comprehend. And yet, back home, in the regular ground of life, within a few months, there was something to be worked through, to be dealt with, and, and there was this unsettled feeling in my heart. And I don't know how many of you talk to yourself. I won't ask you to raise your hands. But I said, Ellis, if you could trust God in a hurricane, you can trust him for this. To commit it to him. 
the things we are not responsible for, we cannot change, there is great peace in resting in his sovereign power beyond our ability to, to have that impact. And yet we know that he is able to do beyond what we can ask or think. One more comment on this, watch thou in all things. That oversight that is needed, we all need the prayers of those we love. We need the encouragement of those we love, those we labor with. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, for any servant in the body of Christ, Encourage them. You might say, well, I don't feel comfortable always doing that. Yes, our ultimate approval and encouragement comes from the Lord. But I draw great strength in the encouragement. And I can assure you, if your heart is intent on conveying a blessing, your ministry will be blessed. Paul said, my departure is at hand. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Here's a new. Let's turn back to chapter 1, verse 15. Um, in, <clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Says this, thou knowest that they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Um, maybe I have a verse down here wrong. I'm looking for the fact that um, he said, "Of sinners, I am chiefest." First Timothy. Yeah, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. The effectual working of the atonement of Christ in my life, in your life, is essential for us to. And he had finished his course, and yet he finished it with that knowledge, though of all he had accomplished, he passed through many tests, many temptations, through which Paul had the potential for failure. It says in 2 Corinthians, it talks, I won't take the time there, but in chapter 1 of, of 2 Corinthians, verse 8, it talks about being pressed out of measure to the point of even despairing of life, it says, but he would have preferred to have died. But I do want to read a couple verses from chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12.
beginning in verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth to me, me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are empty is the only time he can fill us. I was pondering, you know, this challenge sometimes we face where we feel justified in feeling a bit, I'm not sure, some people call it upset, upset, some people call it bent out of shape. But for the sake of the illustration, I'll use the upset version. You know, this glass of water here, if I turn it on a 45, it won't hold near as much. If it's upside down, it won't hold anything. Many times, we limit the, the ability for God to fill us with his grace because our cup is not up and empty with room for him to fill. Paul knew what it was to face all those things, and yet he surrendered them to God, knowing that he was able and in charge above and beyond. Perhaps just a few concluding thoughts I haven't addressed. Brother Philip and Myrna as such, or you as a brotherhood in specific, but I would just perhaps um, a couple scriptures from 1 Thessalonians 5, I believe it is. There's a sense in which we know we have been blessed for the most part. We have been blessed of being taught. And we know what it is we are asked to do, and yet sometimes it's a challenge. So I want to just encourage you. Here it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, if you were around me long enough, you would find that I would tend to prefer the wordings used in some of the original and the Spanish scriptures that, that specifically denotes that those as a part of the servant body. We are among you. We are not over you. But it says here, those that are among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. There is joy in that element of peace. There is reward. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13. 
Here's a couple of the scriptures that speak of that in the very King James-esque way, and I don't say that in disparagingly at all, brothers and sisters. I just say it as I understand if you look at history and you have opportunity to see and observe a few things, you understand perhaps why it was worded this way. But here we have two in verse... 7 and 17, we have two of those rule-overs. But even in the German Bible, the word to rule over is rendered as your teacher. It's not rendered as a ruler. In the Spanish, it's your pastors, your shepherds. But it says, remember them. It says, obey them and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Verse 24, it goes further and says, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. Those that are called to direct, to govern, to serve as a pilot in the setting and the life of the church as our heart is connected to the heart of God we will, press, we will treasure brethren who are consecrated to the same cause so I commend you to the grace of God as, as we are here this evening in the coming days and times it brings changes. And just a couple of years ago, it was a new change for me. And uh, God is faithful. And by his grace, I want to be faithful to him. Let us kneel to pray. Our Father, we rejoice in the, the mercies and your love to us through Christ. And as we treasure the privilege we have to be a part of the body of Christ, many of us for years and years, we pray, Father, that we are becoming more and more into your likeness. We, we desire to not only honor and glorify you, but we know, Father, that as we walk as your people, there are blessings that abound that we can so easily take for granted. And I pray tonight as we look forward to this charge being given this evening that your spirit would undertake and that it would result and come forth in, in strengthened commitments, strengthened labors on the part of all of us as servants in the kingdom. For we know, whether by natural death or the return of our Savior, we want to be ready. So we commit our way and will into your hand. For your glory we ask it all in Christ's name.